hey guys, due to Joe, just wanted to briefly uh, mention this at the top. Alma Wahlberg, uh, Mark Wahlberg's mother, um, had passed away earlier this week, and it just didn't feel right to go into this show talking about a Mark Wahlberg movie that we don't particularly care for without mentioning how sorry we are for their for the Wahlberg's loss, and we offer our deepest condolences to to Alma Wahlberg's family, to Mark Wahlberg, everybody, all the Wahlbergs. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to get that on the top before we start our show. Anyway, you all know the drill. No one under 18 is allowed. Our opinions are our own. This is Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome! Welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I'm Dude Two, Joe. And welcome to the 40th episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature! Hooray! Huzzah! Yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) I mean, at this point, I guess... Every 10th episode isn't as exciting as it used to be, but it is still exciting to be like, hey, we're at episode 40. That's pretty cool. I mean, the fact that we've we've been doing this this long and uh, we have not called it quits or just given up is is encouraging, I would say. It is encouraging. There's there, admittedly there have been times I'm sure where we both were just like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 definitely helpful, and I I'm glad that we're doing this, especially while there's still like a pandemic going on. It just keeps me sane. It gives me something to do outside of just work, which is kind of nauseating at this point. No offense, work. <laughs> That's kind of a thing with 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 this um with this pandemic, you know, like. Because, you know, we're, we both like chilling out at home as much as the next person, you know, like just, mm-hmm. just being homebodies or whatnot. But just this pandemic sort of in a lot of ways just taken away those options. I mean, it's taken away a lot of other things that are much, much more important, obviously. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's just kind of like you have you have work, which, again, I, I'm, I love the people that I work with. I love what I do. You know, but Same. it was, it was, it was always nice. It was always nice just to have things to look forward to. Like, you know, if, oh, we, we would go out to this one place for burgers for half price, you know, no, for buy one, get one free burgers or whatever, or like going to a pizza, going to a pizza place or going, going to the movies, um, and what, whatnot, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously things, things, it's a mixed bag of things. Cause we do have cases hopping up in places, but also we do have the vaccine. So Let's just, you know, we just got to keep at it with this thing. Let's stay vigilant and, uh, you know, hopefully we can return to, to doing some pretty fun things in the future as well. But yeah, this podcast does help. It really does. It's just, it's, it's, like I said, it's just something that helps 
get through things and even even on days like where i've had like a significantly bad day like or something happened that i was just really frustrated with just doing this and talking about movies and like talking with your friend it really really helps so so i'm always happy to do this i know we say this pretty much every 10 episodes but i'm happy we're doing this yeah i'm i'm happy about that uh as well and i'm also just very excited just look because we plan these out in advance i'm very excited for the next few especially oh yeah. some good ones. my god there's some good ones coming there's some good ones coming but before we even get to this one obviously as i as always i have to ask how are you dude too well I should also preface what what I'm about to say by saying we're recording this on April second. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I just remembered what what exactly happened this week, and I imagine this is what you're talking about. So please go for it. You know, because I do want to do a video on it, and I don't know. And this is also just an off topic thing, but but would you would you want to do a monster verse um, episode at some point? Yeah. Why not? All right. Well, that's what I'm going to talk about just briefly. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong is the one thing I've been trying to look forward to this whole pandemic, this whole time. And they kept delaying it, kept delaying it. And then they made that announcement with Warner Brothers with like all the HBO Max titles going to, you know, all those movies going to HBO Max. And I had mixed feelings about that at the time. But, you know, it's it's actually kind of funny is that we were initially pretty, pretty negative on the HBO Max deal. I have I I feel like it, it's it's actually not the worst thing for theaters because you look at some of like just looking at like the small sample size that we do have like Tom and Jerry you know was number one the weekend it came out even though you could watch it effectively for free at home and not to say Tom and Jerry's a great movie you know I haven't seen it so I can't say same but you know it's it's doing okay it's doing okay business or Godzilla versus Kong made a lot in, i think it's so far making raking in like the most money for a movie released during the pandemic because it didn't it like 120 some million dollars overseas in china oh overseas which included uh 70 million i think in china which is very promising and then in the u.s it just it made like 9.6 million on its opening day and it was like the biggest like single day for a movie during the pandemic i think so I think, you know, obviously I'm not going to try to encourage people to go to the movies and be packed and all that, but what I am trying to say is that it looks like there is a future for movie theaters. Yeah. And it looks like it, it, it's not as black and white as what you and I were discussing last year because we thought, okay, push comes to shove. If you give, you give the consumer a choice between going out, having to drive somewhere or take some form of transportation, pay for parking, pay for dinner, pay for popcorn, pay for your overpriced soda, pay for your icy for all your all your kids, get the stupid candy pack for like $7. That sounds pretty cheap, but $7. I feel like there's a grievance in here somewhere. <laughs> despite <laughs> des- despite despite all of that, people will go to the movies because hey, it's it's a thing you can do. It's a thing you, you, you can do, you know, and more people are getting vaccinated. So it's, I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be good things. Again, there's the mixed thing of the pandemic going on and cases are on the rise, including in my area. But again, like, I think this, the, the HBO Max thing was, was not as doom and gloom as what we were expecting. So it's one of those things where I'm admitting I was kind of wrong, at least at this point. But to go back, to go back onto Godzilla versus Kong. Sorry. 
<laughs> Godzilla versus Kong, like, as you know, I'm a lifelong King Kong fan. I've always loved Godzilla. I remember just as a kid watching the original King Kong on this little, little 12 inch, um, little 12 inch, uh, TV with a built in VCR on my kitchen counter, scared the bejesus out of me as a kid, scared the crap out of me as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then I loved it. And it's a great movie. I still love it to this day. Obviously we did an episode about it and Godzilla, uh, I used to, that was like my first exposure to international cinema. As I, I've said before, like I would rent those movies from Blockbuster because they had like the Godzilla movies from the nineties and like the early two thousands and all that. So that, that was like a, a really cool, you know, really cool thing. And it's just memories that I have. So this movie, I think for me, like, like uh, how, how people reacted to like Avengers Endgame and seeing like their favorite heroes all together right. on the screen. Like I know Godzilla and Kong have been on the screen together before, but to see them in like a big budget movie where they both look great and the movie is a lot of fun. It really was just a hell of a treat. Honestly, it was, it was like a dream come true. Um, this is not like a full review of the movie because I would like to try to more, talk more substantially about it in the future. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just know it, it, for me, it delivered the goods. It did what it needed to do. I, I think, and I think one of my favorite things about it too, and like, because, because I was, I was having a conversation with Gifford and this is not me calling Gifford out on anything. I love you, Gif. Because he was talking about, he was talking about the other MonsterVerse movies. And one of the big things is like, he likes he was saying character movies and I think he, what he meant was like human characters. Right. And it's so easy to forget sometimes that monsters can be characters as well. And again, I'm not dogging on gif. It's just, this is just me. Like I'm so glad with each of these monster verse movies, they've been building on the personalities of, of the monsters. Like when you watch, when you watch this movie, there are moments where Godzilla looks like he's smiling. Like he is happy that he's, <laughs> he's kicking this monkey's, <laughs> monkey's ass. And there's other moments where, where, where Kong, is is just like, uh, do I really have to do this? This hurts. Oh my god! And it's just, <laughs> it's wonderful to see a movie where where they are the stars. You know, they are the yeah. characters, and that is that is all I've ever wanted, honestly. And it's like again, you know, I'm almost getting emotional about a Godzilla Kong movie. I have a tissue for you if you need it. I know it can't pass through the screen since we're talking on our phones, but. <laughs> I can I, I can pass this through for you, but uh, but thank you, Adam Wingard. Thank you, the special effects crew, everybody who's been involved in the MonsterVerse all these years to lead to this movie, which admittedly is not perfect. But if it, my inner eight year old, this is like their favorite movie ever. So just yeah, that was pretty great. That was that was really beautiful. I hope we don't have to cut a thing of that. I, I that, that that was that was probably the like most euphoric <laughs> action, especially especially because of what we're going to be talking about. It's just nice to to start off in such a beautiful positive point. <laughs> so I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I'll just real quick. I'll just say my thought because I watched it too. Like I don't have near the appreciation for these characters that you do i like i like godzilla i like king kong a lot but my like i don't have that like connection through like years of spending time with these characters as much as you do but with the with the actual monster verse movies i i was sort of lukewarm on them but as time has gone on and people who i'm a fan of became involved with these movies like i love michael doherty we've talked about it trick-or-treat krampus love those movies 
Um, and Adam Wingard, I know a lot of people might think of his Death Note movie, which, yeah, it's not great. It's, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I don't, I've never watched Death Note to like, <laughs> to be like, you know, uh, you know, this is a bad adaptation. Like, I liked Willem Dafoe as the, like, you know, Ryu thing or whatever it's called. I'll say that. And it is a good-looking movie. So that's just me defending a movie of his that he made that I'm not particularly a fan of. But I love The Guest that he directed with uh, Dan Stevens, which Dan Stevens, as Joey knows, is, like, one of my favorite actors right now. And um, he just replaced Army Hammer. Hell yeah. That's good casting. Anyway, <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole other topic. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I I mean, congrats to Dan Stevens for getting something, but I don't want to jump into that rabbit hole at the moment. <laughs> I, I, I stuck my foot in, and I pulled it right back out. But anyway, so, uh, but no, that that movie was the movie that introduced me to, to Dan Stevens as an actor, and so, and that's just a great movie. And I love Your Next, which is sort of like a, a horror, like, like, imagine, like, Home Alone as a horror movie and not, you know, and be- I, I think you would like this movie, Joey. I know you're not a big fan of Home Alone, but I think you would like this movie. And so, I was, knowing okay, I like those... Is the movie called, is the movie called Your Next, you were saying? Yes. This this is a fake, fake double feature. <laughs> You're Home Alone. Boom. <laughs> You're Home Alone. No, I'm not. You are. <laughs> uh, oh, but I... I, I did I did just want to briefly say um shout out to our good friend Dr. Feehan. I did watch Godzilla vs. Kong with him. Mm-hmm. We were both wearing that we watched this at my home. We were both wearing masks. We had both been vaccinated at the at that time, but we were socially distanced. I just want to emphasize that. Um but it is one two of those things up. two two thumbs up, you know. It was great to see him. Uh because as you guys know from listening to the Zilla vs. um King Kong episode, he's also a huge, huge monster fan. You know, and and seeing seeing this that this for him was definitely of equal delight for him, I'm sure, as it was for me. So, just brief shout out to Doctor Feehan. Two thumbs up. Yeah, but but yeah. So, uh, being a fan of Adam Wingard going into this movie, I was already like excited to see it, and it was very fun. It was just ridiculous. It was so colorful. It was so color like the lights, the use of lights, and. Movies don't look like that anymore, and I feel like as time is like movies are starting to look more like that, and it just makes it makes me excited. And I think it, it was also Adam Wingard coming from a sort of low budget horror background, and how like when you when you go into that ballpark, and how atmospheric you get, and how you use the lighting and things like it was that aesthetic. I always say horror directors can make the best blockbusters because they know aesthetics perfectly and lighting perfectly they know like the silliness of things and how effective silliness can be and so like i love aquaman from james wan i love um again michael doherty when he did king of the monsters which is like such a ridiculously fun movie so i went into this fully excited and it it did not disappoint but i'm especially happy that you were as like euphoric about it as you were because, especially because it's, I'm hard pressed to find any like versus crossover movie, at least in modern memory, that was even remotely good or decent. Like, like Alien versus Predator, terrible. Freddy versus Jason had moments, but ultimately terrible. Batman v Superman. What? <laughs> 
what was that? Especially, <laughs> I, I like to point out, especially the theatrical version, or if we have people who are yes. fans of Zack's, that is, if, you, if you do enjoy Batman v Superman, the Ultimate Edition, that's fine. That's cool. It's just not our, it's just it's not our bag, dog. No, it's not. Um, you know, <laughs> 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 I don't know why that came out, but it just did. <laughs> But no, if if you like any of those movies, that's cool. But I just it's <laughs> I'm just um I'm hard pressed to think of any like versus and again in a modern setting versus movies besides maybe like Civil War. But even then, like I like Civil War, but I don't love it. But this versus movie was awesome. This was a lot of fun. The the best way I can describe it, it it's like the best movie you ever rented from Blockbuster. Just going Heck back yeah. to like yeah. my memories as a kid, like do, it's like it's like you go to Blockbuster and you see that cover of 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 the giant monkey holding an axe as he's fighting a giant radio goddamn radioactive goddamn lizard, and you're just like this looks this looks like this is cinema. This is this is this is why I this why I watch movies is <laughs> movies, and I am happy. No, it was a lot of fun, and I'm glad you got to watch it. And even if you know the circumstances that we're in right now probably prevented the ultimate kind of experience but at least you got to watch it and that's awesome and i was able to also just sort of like really appreciate it too because watching it at home i've watched it in full like five times so i know you're able, I'm, I'm able, <laughs> and that's not counting me just fast forwarding to scenes like i've watched it in full five times yes yeah uh, and that's just as of this recording i know i'm gonna watch it again with uh with allison to tomorrow so sup Allison sup Allison what's up dog <laughs> what's up dog <laughs> what's up dog but uh beyond that is there anything you want to talk about Richard um not really no <laughs> flashback flashback to the other episode no I'm good <laughs> end of episode done no I do want to talk about our movies actually because this is this is a very this is a transition um, this is a this is a very different type of episode than we've ever done before. <laughs> okay, I think this should be emphasized too. We're generally very positive people. Yes, and even with this, we're gonna find positive things. But it's very it's you 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 explain the the, the thesis behind this episode. I, okay, I'm okay, not, okay, I'm, okay, I'm okay. Sorry, okay. <laughs> you're. No, I will say you're more polite than I am. Though I try to be positive and I try to be nice, but I I can be kind of a dick. So I think you play, you do you do play devil's advocate very well, but I will agree I am more polite of. The you are much more polite than I am. Yeah. Um. So so essentially the this is mostly this is just an excuse to talk about this first movie, uh. Because as you know, I've been trying to talk about all the '90s Batman movies. So this is my this is my way into that. But um, essentially the the concept was. Um, we both are huge fans of two specific franchises, Batman and Planet of the Apes. And sadly, we haven't talked about it. Besides me just talking about watching the first one, we've never really actually talked about any of the Planet of the Apes, so I do apologize. This is the first Apes movie we're talking about, <laughs> officially. <laughs> Though, for this episode, it's appropriate for reasons that we'll get into when we get to that film. Exactly. We wanted to talk about entries within these franchises that we probably would categorize as our least favorite. While I wouldn't say this first movie is necessarily, at least at this point, my absolute least favorite, um, again, 
This is an excuse to talk about all the 90s Batman movies. But also, my least favorite, I don't want to talk about. <laughs> and I briefly mentioned it a hot second there. <laughs> See if you can guess which one that is. <laughs> it doesn't just have Batman in it. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Suicide Squad? Oh, no! <laughs> Too early, Joey! <laughs> but um but no the truth is when it comes to like even movies that we don't particularly like they're worth discussing for specific reasons here and there so that's what this this episode's sort of an exercise for both of us and like ex, ex, i guess you could say expelling our demons maybe i don't know it was probably a terrible excuse <laughs> but I think we're gonna have we're gonna have a blast talking about these movies because there's a lot to talk about with both. Yes, there is. These aren't merely just mediocre movies. Like these two movies, in some sort, especially this first one, especially if you're depending on who you are, what what time period you grew up on the internet on, this one is often considered to be the worst, one of the worst movies ever made. Yes. So you're like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> And when you have a title like that, like, if you're, like, in the same ballpark as, like, The Room or, like, an Ed Wood movie. Manos, The Hands of Fate. Shout out to Manos, The Hands of Fate. I actually know a YouTuber named The Real Manos. Nice guy. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> shout out to him. Um, you know I what? Think we that's... should get him to, to start being a double feature. We talk about Manos, The Hands of Fate. <laughs> we'll bring... You know what? I'll, if, if he listens, I'll bring it up to him. No, no. Bring up Ma Manos from Plan 9. We'll talk about those two, those two <laughs> movies. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a part two to this one. <laughs> yes. Right, but well, anyway, first movie? long story short. Movie? Long story short. Okay, first movie. We are talking about the 1997 comic book movie killer directed by joel schumacher may he rest in peace batman and robin what killed the comic book movies not oh this god one. not this one <laughs> again <laughs> this one i had to it was a little more fun you have to admit that yeah yeah it was <laughs> okay so this movie all right this movie came out i feel like in like the like the height of like the 90s like, I mean, it came out in 97. It came out around the time of, like, you know, Space Jam, Independence Day, you know, all these, like, it's, it kind of came out around that time when, like, like, all the, like, all these, like, movies that people at my age consider, like, heavily nostalgic. Jurassic Park was also, uh, Lost World was 97. Exactly. Um, and so it's just, it's all these movies that, to some degree, have, like, a heavy amount of nostalgia, and um, this one specifically has started to come back a little bit for a lot of people. And whether it's, you know, examining it compared to more recent releases like Batman v Superman or, you know, some of the other movies that have come out like Suicide Squad or anything else, uh, you know, even the, the Nolan movies, I'm sure. But this movie has a very specific, as we mentioned, very specific reputation as being the worst comic book movie of all time. The movie that killed the superhero movie until X-Men came out, I guess. Which, can we can we examine that theory for a second? Blade came out the next year! Not even... Blade, which was a hit movie. It made money came out the next year and then like 
what, two, three years later, X-Men came out? That's a short window of time. Not to mention, too, maybe a little more long-term, Spider-Man came out just five years later and became, like, at that time, like, one of the biggest things ever. Ever. So, to, to, to call this the movie that killed the comic book movie is a bit exaggerated. Because I think I think people are dramatic because they're like, oh, if Batman can't have a successful comic book movie, no one can. The whole thing might as well be gone without Batman. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, that's the, that's the general rule. Duh. I forget. I forget who I'm talking to sometimes. Good grief. <laughs> what you're talking to an open-minded comic book fan who I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> but I let's, lost, let's, let's I like, train of thought. Po- point, I think point being there, some of the reputation of this movie is a bit exaggerated it's yes yes it's a bit exaggerated because again Blade came out X-Men came out um, Spider-Man came out and yeah so like what 97 to 2005 how long is that 97 2005 is a period of 8 years so within an 8 year span they made another Batman movie which seems legit, I guess, compared to like Spider Man having such a short window. But even so, like eight, like single digits still, eight years, not even a decade, they brought Batman back with the Nolan movies. So, I mean, this didn't, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this did not kill comic book movies. This, this might have been like one of the worst reviewed, blah, blah, whatever, but it didn't, I, I personally do not think it killed comic book movies i don't think you think so either obviously no it it, but... it absolutely didn't i mean when you're when you're younger you might agree with that because you're like this is because when you watch it when you're younger and you you know you might you might just think whatever of it and you're just like man this is so bad like if i was at that age and i saw that i would never want to see another comic book movie again or or whatever but uh, you know it, again it's just so it is so extreme like i get it it's not a great movie we're going to talk about that, but again, over <laughs> overreaction to, to everything. It's an absolute overreaction, but I will say if there is one thing that I think is somewhat true about this movie, and this, again, this isn't me saying that it's great or good in any way, but it has aged well, sort of. Is that, is that, is that, is that a hot take? Is that controversial to say? I, I mean... <laughs> Because I think I think you'll definitely have the crowd that'll still say this is like the worst the worst thing ever, but I look at this movie, and again I know we it feels like we talk about Marvel in one way or another every other week. Yeah, but and there's some fun Marvel movies we talked about this. Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy two is legit, just one of my favorite movies ever. But there's a lot of Marvel movies out there that are just not stylistically interesting. Like they're fine. You see them once in theaters. You might check them out again on Disney Plus, and then you just kind of like, yeah, they're, they're fine. It's like it's it's like there's some entries in that series that you're just like, I have to watch it because I'm binging all of them. You know, like I don't I don't actively think that people would just go, oh, I'm gonna watch Thor of the Dark World right now, or like, you know what I mean? If you like Thor of the Dark World, that's cool. I'll just say, but still. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But like the point is, there's definitely movies in that franchise that you that you would probably only watch either because you haven't seen it in a long time or because you're watching all the Marvel movies. Though, but this movie, stylistically speaking, like 
I can't think of anything else like it today. It's so because it's so different. It's so different. Like I'll 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 say this much. Like visually speaking, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. Like you you don't see, and that's probably like my one thing about a lot of '90s or sort of earlier comic book movies around the time of like the '90s Batman movies, or even like you know that weird period where they just kept adapting pulp characters because they thought that was what people wanted though not all of them are that bad we talked about the rocketeer that was a good movie that's a great movie that's a great movie but like the thing is it's it came from a viewpoint that very much understood the kind of movie they were making even if they had a lot of issues going into it with studio mandates and you know toy company mandates and and all that stuff which we'll talk about obviously um but the main thing is like this is this is why i think joel schumacher who we're talking about obviously uh this is why i think joel schumacher might have been a better choice to make batman than people think because he completely understood that he was making a cartoon (laughs) you know he he understood that he was making something that was both meant to be for kids and yeah people talk about like oh he wanted to do like a darker version of batman that's fine i think that's something a lot of people want to do when they approach that character but i i do also think that even if he did do a darker version of batman it still would have looked like this to some degree because it's massive amounts of style and aesthetics and it looks like he's actually trying to take the 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 style and the image that you see in a comic and put it in the movie whereas it feels like a lot of more modern comic I th- we might have talked about this when we talked about Batman Forever but it just feels like a lot of it is sort of stripped away in most modern comic book movies yeah cuz i think again i think about like batman batman and robin how they have that that intricate like it's almost like the game of battleship and they have like the very stylized sets and whereas now if you watch like say like the battle in new york in avengers you could see all the buildings, it's in broad daylight, which we talked about the pros and cons of all that, which is nice to see what you're looking at, but it's also can, can be kind of bland if not used very well, you know, and it just looks like, okay, they're just fighting in the real world, but like when you watch something like Batman and Robin or, you know, especially Batman Forever, you, you feel like you're, you're in a heightened, like, escapist type of world, and we're, we're very much about that sort of escapism um, on this program as if the you know the the gushing for fifteen minutes about Godzilla versus Kong wasn't evident. <laughs> if that's not evident, then I don't know why you would think otherwise. <laughs> the evidence is there. Come on. I, I guess my intro my intro to the uh, the uh, Keanu episode was not apt at all. Welcome to the podcast of realism. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, these are Nolan guys. Clearly. <laughs> these guys these guys want nothing to do with anything with style and anything with lighting and beautiful stuff. They just want no, but I'm gonna make this as realistic was, as possible. You know what I was thinking about though? You and you were you're talking this like like like, po- like in the beginning where we're introduced to Poison Ivy, right? Let's mm-hmm. lead into her to the lab. We have the stop you pointed out the stop motion lizard. There's a stop motion lizard. It's just like the beautiful like miniature like, like like just the use of like the foreground the back like it was so layered and just gorgeous and dazzling to look at man you and especially if you're watching this on blu-ray like it's it's kind of it's kind of amazing really and 
just movies again we we talked about this but comic book movies especially don't look like this anymore and that's probably the most disappointing thing that's why i think i i love aquaman as much as i do because it is sort of like a callback to those kinds of movies because it has all that style and that just dripping with you know the 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 lighting and and just everything and it just makes you so happy and it's a good movie so so it's, it's just an added layer of greatness and that is something batman and robin has tenfold absolutely for sure i mean that's one thing you can't tell like like the like the visual like the like the costumes even if you have issues with like the costume everybody makes fun of like the bat nipples and you Mm -hmm. know just the way the costumes are are structured and some of the excesses but they're so memorable as well I, i will never forget mr freeze in that movie oh no you'll never and let's let's i know again this is sort of like the the commonality with these movies. We don't talk about Batman first, but Arnold gets top billing anyway. So let's talk about Arnold for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, like Ar- Arnold is a very unique movie star. He's one of the most mo- one of the most unique movie stars ever because I think he I, I, it's it's he's almost like he was in some ways he's almost like a prototype of the Rock. Yeah. Because he has like all the ca- like the catchphrases, these big this big dude, very distinct voice. But like, and this is why I like the first Terminator. He's ge- he could be genuinely scary. Oh yeah, like he ha- he has more range than pe- people give him credit for. Yeah, he's more range, and I think people forget that that first Terminator movie is like effectively like a science fiction horror movie. That's why it's my favorite movie. I mean, I love. I mean, T two is great. Don't get me wrong; it's a great movie, but. That first, that first one is just such a genuinely like chilling experience. Just seeing, yes, him, like yes, like, like literally, like it, it's like it's like I'm watching like like um like a slasher movie, but with like a really buff guy. Yes, and that's it's that's why it's one of my favorite one of my favorite favorite movies. Which is you know it's wild for me to think about that. But Arnold's one of those guys that you cast for a specific reason. Like we talk about sort of the prototype of the Rock. The Rock again. Um, like we like we talked about in the Rampage episode, I'm sure, is he he's a specific kind of actor that you get for a specific kind of project. And with the with with Arnold, like while I might not consider him like my ideal version of Mr. Freeze, for the, within the context of the movie that he's in, he fits. He really does. Yeah. Like like the the costume is so like layered and so and like when it's lit up and like I love the little light that comes out of his chin thing and like lights his teeth all blue, which is real like a, such like a cool effect to sort of makes it look like he's cold in and out, and like the makeup is so detailed like like there's that shot like zoomed in on his eyes when he's got that like CGI tear, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> CGI tear that like freezes on his cheek and like blows away, which is actually kind of a cool idea, admittedly. I was losing breath there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, like, if you look at his paint, like, the paint job on his face, it's actually, like, super detailed. And it's and it sort of makes you just really appreciate the makeup work that went into this movie, too. I mean, also, just, like, Arnold, got to give him credit for sitting on the makeup chair. Because that was, that was probably... I, I, I don't want to, like, assume, but I know for our next movie that we're going to talk about, like, the makeup for them took, like something that was it like four hours four and a half hours yeah put put on and i'm sure this took at least a few hours to put on as well you know 
and because because now nowadays like because people always laugh at stories like remember when like Jennifer Lawrence, ha, you know, was doing less and less of the mystique makeup, and people were like, ha ha. But people don't realize like you you have to come in you have to come in early and and sit and sit down for several hours, and then once the shoot's over, you still have to sit there for another like maybe not as much time as it was to put it back on. But you still have to sit there for a while, just waiting for people to take this off. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge process. I was saying, especially to add to that, especially like if you're someone having to wear prosthetics, mm. and then you have to like, and it hurt because they glue it to your face. Mm-hmm. Like I always feel bad for Karen Gillan because I, I I love her as Nebula, but she has a very extensive makeup work, or even like um, uh, Zoe Saldana has extensive makeup work in Guardians of the Galaxy as Gamora and just how much they have to like wash off or peel off and so like Arnold admittedly probably got lucky because he just had a bald cap but even so like it looked really good and I have you know I have my animosity towards bald caps (laughs) I I know this this is this is very very uh very well documented but yeah it's like Arnold, because I know everybody loves the animated series version of Mister Freeze. Like for a lot yeah, of people, no question. That's a, that that's the definitive one. I'm gonna, you know, you can ask anybody who's seen that. They're Shout like, out oh, yeah, to the one. Paul Dini, Heart of Ice. If you haven't seen that episode of Batman the Animated Series, it is the definitive example of Mister Freeze. I'm sorry, I'm one of those people. <laughs> it's okay, and that's fine. I, I I pretty much agree with you. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, there's a reason why they reuse some of that storyline. Like they use that, like, they use that storyline in this movie because yeah. they knew, like, hey, if we did this right, it it can work, you know. And that's actually kind of a wild thing to me because they're literally adapting, like, because sometimes when you like, I, I think about like how long it took, like, to do like uh, almost like a Dark Knight Returns Batman versus Superman kind of fight. And they they decide for the Batman movie, we're going to adapt this thing episode from a cartoon that's just a couple years old at this point. Yeah, you know, we're just going to do that. I mean, that's kind of wild when you think about it. But going away from Arnold for a bit, we also we have other villains. Okay, this is a Batman movie after all. Oh, this is the best one too. If you know, if you're going where I think you're going, this is the best one. Obviously, Bane, right? I mean, Bane. The, the I'm, listen, I, I am official. I am officially um, uh, putting in my resignation of two dudes, one double feature. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Joey, but uh, you're you're on your own, bitch. <laughs> um, well, I just want to get like a brief thing for for Bane. Um, uh, Robert Robert Swenson uh, played this character. Yeah, and, like two two months after the movie came out, he passed away. So. Just, just to, you know, that, m- yeah, mention that yeah. may rest in peace, um, you know, but Uma Thurman, that, that's who you wanted me to talk about. Yes. Uma Thurman. Yes. Because listen, you might've seen this on Twitter posted periodically, but, um, you know, there's like a running thing, like a running meme or something with specific actors that, um, uh, people categorize as actors who know what movies they're making. Like th- these are, these are like top quality people in their field and uma thurman you know if you go with kill any of her quentin tarantino films or you know anything else she is very much one of those actors and if there's anyone who you love to see and she's perfect every second you see her and even joel schumacher said like he doesn't regret any any of the casting he does especially uma thurman um like she is perfect as poison ivy in this movie 
Like, when we first meet her, it's probably one of the best scenes in the whole movie. And we see that, like, super intense and creepy, like, lab in, like, the, like, the rainforest or, like, the, like, the desert or like not the desert but like the like jungle out of out in the middle of nowhere she works for bruce wayne obviously or has some sort of connection to bruce wayne and she wants to you know it's sort it's sort of like again that that unfortunate archetype we've been seeing a lot like we saw it in wonder woman 1984 with kristen wig we've seen it with uh uh jim carrey as edward nigma that sort of like quote-unquote nerdy character uh, that changes and becomes a villain kind of thing. But regardless of the trope existing, like, she's still very good. And when she turns into Poison Ivy, it's one of the coolest scenes in the whole movie. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That was a cool scene. Just like, um, she, just like she, and like, can we also talk about, uh, what's the actor's name that plays, uh, Woodrow? Who, he was also, fun fact, he was also the voice of the Riddler on the Batman animated series. Which, again, John, another connection. John Glover. John Glover, who's also, uh, again, not to, you know, just give his filmography, but he was also in Shazam as uh, Sivania's father, who, uh, at the beginning of the movie, um, and he gets eaten by greed. That was a cool scene, by the way. Uh, (laughs) John Glover's in all, like, the cool scenes in any DC movie, good or bad. (laughs) But he plays such a maniacal, like, evil scientist and has, like, really great dialogue, too, which is funny. She's like... Like, like, like he he's coming on to Poison Ivy uh, when she's Pamela Isley, and she's like, no, no, like, like I, like she's like disgusted by what he's doing. Like he's he's taking her research and like using it for his own like you know nefarious deeds, and she rejects him, and he's and he just goes, well, I can respect your opinion. However, I just cannot take rejection. I'm afraid you'll have to die. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that you don't you don't see in these kinds of movies. You anymore. don't. You really like, don't okay, like the mo- the motivations. Like some of the ki- sometimes like having a multi layered like villain can be really great, but I just miss like yeah. ridiculous like petty villains in movies like <laughs> Lex Luthor you know, in, in Super in Superman, who's just who's just kind of like pissed off that like Superman has the spotlight and that he's that good and you know he's got all these wigs and he's living leaving it under, under the real you know it's ugh. like people people always knock. Like when people are like, like whenever people describe certain like of the quote unquote layered villains, they're like, oh, it's not one of those like twirl your mustache, like I'm gonna tie you to the train tracks type of villain. What's wrong with those kinds of villains? Like seriously, those sometimes those villains are the most fun to watch because they're clearly just like they're so evil, but like they're so fun to watch. Like I hate Doctor Woodrow, but when I see him in his big old fright wig. Like, his weird, like, like he clearly looks like a bad scientist, and I'm just like, I want him to die, but I'm having fun watching him just go crazy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> man, he, he is very, very good in the short bit that he's in the movie. And then um, when Uma Thurman sort of, like, emerges out of the ground like a flower, literally, like a literal flower coming out of the ground and like she her she changes her entire demeanor she changes her voice you know at first she was more like i'm going to protect all these plants and it's going to be the greatest thing and you will not stop me and then when she comes out she's like hmm like the confidence starts coming out she starts playing and like and like she starts like drawing him in with like her sex appeal and she's just like you know i uh my my skin was exchanged with aloe my you know this 
and and my lips with venom after she kisses him and then he's just like uh, uh, she's like oh and jason one other thing i probably should have mentioned this earlier i'm poisoned that she pushes him over in that great music cue the uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the confidence the the look of it too like the outfits that they the design for her if there's if there's one truly great thing about this movie it's uma thurman as poison ivy no question no she she well i would say two but what but the, there she knows what kind of movie she's in the other great part is not a villain <laughs> and i know you'll agree with me on this okay okay um um our, our our fine our fine guy our veteran who's been through our our journey he's, up to this point he's been doing this from the moment they said action in the first batman movie and of course i am talking about pat hingle <laughs> no but you know what on that note of pat hingle he actually gets a full-on scene in this movie he gets he finally gets a scene and it's where he gets manipulated by poison ivy she's like she tries to kiss him she goes on second thought you're way too old for me and he's like no i'm not <laughs> come back you know what's weird what's weird is that like we've talked about him in like the four batman movies right and and in uh land before and, time no but that's what i'm about to say like land before time he does more in that <laughs> He does more in Land Before Time as he's the oh narrator in Land Before Time. No, but he's also he's also he's also um, a dinosaur. Yes, yes, he is. Uh, he is a dinosaur. He is a dinosaur in that movie. <laughs> Hold on, I need to remember. <laughs> Give me a oh second. my god! I need to. Uh, this is this is. Hold up, but we're we are going to talk about the real like real MVP in a second. I just need to. I I, I need to. Look, look at that. <laughs> Oh my god where where is it where is it <laughs> ruder yes his name is ruder yes he, shout out to pat hingle may he rest in peace as well um uh, but no but no alfred is, alfred is the best yes. other best part michael but michael goff go ahead go my, ahead yes michael goff but he is in a completely different movie <laughs> like it's like all of his dialogue was written as if he was going to be in like a really dramatic sort of soap opera like type movie but then all this other zany shit is happening around him but every time you see him it's so because you you care so much about him like you love him and he's they gave him an actual arc which they haven't done in any of these movies they gave him an arc in this movie which i think you have to appreciate like for someone finally saying why isn't alfred got like a storyline yeah because essentially what's going on with alfred um is that he's sick he's dying actually he has i don't he has uh mcgregor syndrome in the movie not connor mcgregor just mcgregor in general and um the more he's dying the more everyone sort of like trying to figure out because obviously they have to deal with poison ivy and they have to deal with mr freeze and bane but they don't really know how to do this and that's sort of like the big thing with the character batman like there's actually good like ideas at play in this movie which i think people tend to forget as well that um batman's a character and i think alfred says it really well like i'm paraphrasing but he says something along the lines of like bruce wayne is batman to control things in his life um 
most importantly, control death. Because Batman's Batman's motivated, obviously, by the tragic loss of his parents, which caused him, as a young boy, to sort of lose any sort of, like, proper adulthood and just sort of, like, be stuck on this mission for years upon years and decades to sort of build to the point where, as an adult, he wears a costume and he fights crime and scares the hell out of people. Um, but he also does it as sort of a control thing. And so when he's presented with an unfortunate situation where someone he's very close with who's never really been in any kind of dire straits might die, that's kind of heartbreaking. And while they might not, I think, perfectly execute this story, it is one of the few story arcs in this movie that works and works well. Yeah, I, I agree with you fully on, on that. Like, it does just feel like it's from a different movie. It's just funny because, like, Akiva Goldsman did the script <laughs> for this and was an Academy Award-winning screenwriter. So this feels like the Academy Award-winning side of things. <laughs> and then, and then we're our, when our, where our oh-so-handsome but what heroes come in. Oof. <laughs> I'm just saying, give, like, take an Oscar, right? Give it to Akiva Goldsman. And then as he's holding it, take it back, break off the top part, and then give it back to him. It's like, here you go. <laughs> you can get that one. <laughs> listen, listen, give it goals, but I, I hope I hope your Oscar's in a safe spot and you're having a nice day. I think it needs to be emphasized. Um, and it also should be emphasized too, like, you know, again like we're just talking about the movie. That like the, the I, I think we can agree, like the, the weakest the weakest part of this movie, as with some Batman movies, it tends to be, but yeah. I don't know. It tends to be the heroes. The main main heroes of um, of George Clooney, or he's referred to as, um, in on BoJack Horseman, George Kerners, and... Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that, that, now I can I now I can refer to his uh, his his Oscar nominated role in the fictional film The Nazi Who Played Yahtzee. Okay, that's all I'll refer to. <laughs> we should have talked Chris about O'Donnell. that in our last. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> like just, Chris O'Donnell, by the way, is also there. Um, <laughs> listen, listen. Both of these guys, we know what they're capable of. You know, yeah. George George Clooney is a very respected person. Chris O'Donnell, I thought was better in Bat in Batman Forever. You know, I'm sure yeah. you know he's there. I'm sure they're very fine people. You know, that I and I, I just, it's just it, it's so hard. You know, because it, it's it's just hard for you to say that, but they're just not great. It's just that they're no. not given great material, and even the no. stuff that's like cheesy, it's not good cheesy. Like you know, no. it's 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 Batman and Robin, not Robin and Batman. Or and I'm sick yeah, of it. I want the I want the car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman. Superman works, works alone. alone. Or like the 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 conversation. I always go back to this one conversation where um they're like, "Well, I'm over her, all right." Positively, me too, definitely. Good stems though. <laughs> 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 like, huh? Okay, it's <laughs> just very casually too the way they say it, and then like at the end, Batman's like, "Oh, here's the button here." Gonna oh, there we you go. know what I'm, you know what I'm gonna say too. This movie made me hate Batman more than any other ver other version of the character. Good, because <laughs> that makes sense. Because, because as because uh, because he, he like because Alfred, you know, obviously he's not feeling so hot from McGregor's. Not that Batman knows this, but 
he's just like, oh, it's like the first, oh, it's okay, but it's like the first time you didn't like answer the door in like thirty years. And I'm like, what the hell, man? <laughs> I, I don't he, respect you know, that man anymore. The most, like, I just imagine, no, I just imagine him sitting. Alfred, I cut, I cut my flinga. Can you, can you get me the band aid? Can you, can you get me the, the no, antibiotic no. ointment? I want the bat band aid. I want the good ones at the top shelf. Can, can you tell me a story? Can you put on the night? No, don't put the Joker nightlight. No, I want the no. nightlight. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not gonna sleep. I'm a scared. Like I imagine, like like Alfred gives him baths, like as an adult. And, like I'm just like, man, this, this is this is stupid. Like, and listen, I'm also gonna, I'm like, I'm gonna bring this. Uh, and thank goodness. Thank goodness this version of the character was not was not like with Michael Caine because I would have been really upset because Michael Caine, <laughs> like I, I always talk about this like because Alfred's feelings matter that that's the yes Alfred's feelings matter anything from these movies okay yes like because uh, I remember in the Dark Knight Rises people give Alfred crap for this where he's just like I'll believe him I'll I can't let you do this and people are like oh that's stupid I'm like you know what the George Clooney guy would have been like I'm seeing Alfred <laughs> adios or, wh- or whatever <laughs> and then he wouldn't have been able to answer the door ever when it was ringing after Alfred left oh in that God. next scene no and then that, the movie wouldn't have continued <laughs> the movie the city would have blown up <laughs> like he would have still been in bed they were like Bruce Bruce oh god I don't know what's going on <laughs> why do I keep hearing a ring Cotillard Mary Cotillard would be like you know what is it even worth it to try to get Bruce <laughs> in on this is it even worth it at this point it's been days do something else <laughs> oh my gosh do I need him for my master plan <laughs> for the love of god it's taken so long why isn't and he that, here this is not I need to emphasize this this is not a dig on anybody it's just my dig on the character you know, it's a fi- it's a fiction on 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 the Clooney interpretation of character, this and how he comes yeah. off as sort of like this, like like brat. <laughs> it's a it's a combo because again, as we say, the, these things can be a combination of the script. Maybe there's a pr- the pr- producer's note. The actor obviously plays a role in that. The director also can play a role. You know, a role in that um, as well. It's just it just doesn't work. It should also be worth noting that famously now, George Clooney has denounced this movie on any occasion yep. it comes up. Like when he was doing press for Tomorrowland, he went to Comic Con, and there was many interviews where he would go, "I didn't think I was allowed back. <laughs> I thought after Batman and Robin, I, I, I wasn't allowed to come here." <laughs> and the guy went on his honeymoon. To do press for for Tomorrowland, so <laughs> so I mean, like he he took he took precious time out, out of his schedule, which he could have been spending with his new wife at the time, to promote a Disney movie that, admittedly, Joey neither Joey and I are massively into, but a lot of it was him going. I did that one movie with Batman. And he talks about it a lot. One of my favorite things, actually, that came out recently. I don't know if I, if you ever watched this, but you know how Variety does those, like, actors, interviewing actors thing? Yes. Those are fun. George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer did one because they were in that One Fine Day movie together, which um, I watched as a kid mostly because it was Catwoman and Batman. So, like, my seven-year-old self's going, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, uh... I guess it was like an anniversary or something, and they and they talk about it. And obviously, my my brain's going. I want to see them talk about their experiences making Batman movies because 
that's what I want. And of course, mm-hmm. it just went to jo- to to George Clooney, um, just again railing on uh, Batman and Robin, and uh, the whole experience of it, and like the nipples and the cod piece and all that stuff. So he has famously denounced this movie. So even he would agree with you that Batman is a piece of shit. In this movie, <laughs> you know, and. <laughs> And again, it's it's one of those one of those things where obviously I'm not trying to take it out on anybody personally. You know, we're not trying to take out anything on anybody personally. It's just no, it just no. it just it just it just doesn't it doesn't work. And that's the important that's another important thing too, because people with the, with these properties and with these characters can sometimes get a little a little carried away. Yes, and sometimes that can be kind of fun. Yeah, but sometimes it gets it gets into territory that is. That is just inappropriate completely or just disturbing. Especially especially with Batman. Especially with Batman. Especially with Batman. And I'm trying to think. And that, that, that leads me to, th- to think about, like, Joel Schumacher in this movie. Because we, we talked about him. And I think I think one of the – part of the reason why this movie in particular was, cons- was for so long and still in a lot of circles considered to be, like, the worst movie ever or one of the worst big-budget movies ever. Because it was made by Joel Schumacher. And the movie ha- has has his perspective on 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 Batman. On that, which is not, is not necessarily a straight guy's perspective, is what, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It, it's definitely not a straight guy's perspective. But I was, you know what I actually think about a lot when, I, when it comes to Joel Schumacher and what he did with these movies, with these Batman movies? Again, minus whatever the studio had him do or, you know, the script and stuff. I think in a weird way, Joel Schumacher almost figured out the best possible way to make a superhero movie. Because like I said, he knew he was making a cartoon. He knew he was making something that was meant to have like, like a beauty to it. Like the reason this, the costumes are even anatomically correct is because he wanted to evoke similar to what Snyder does with with his superhero movies is you know like the sort of greek god sort of like those statues you see in rome or and you know like the statue of david stuff they're like perfectly anatomically correct bodies which is very much represented in the comics you know you look at batman with that like skin tight suit you see every goddamn muscle in his body protruding out of that thing and so uh, it's it's not like it's 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 a misinterpretation of the text or anything because it's very much there, you know. Maybe he wanted to add something like nipples or you know the cod piece or whatever, but it still like it's it it it, it mixes. It, it's not like it's entirely wrong as far as adapting from the comics. And at this point, it's like yeah, they had nipples on them. Who gives a shit? <laughs> like I'm, I'm more, I'm more concerned about the Joker having a dumb tattoo on his head versus Batman having nipples. I'm just saying, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe they're sort of the two separate things in the same ballpark, but still. But, but the diff, but the difference is, you're not going to go on Twitter right now and harass somebody, no, about it, or go. <laughs> I don't or care in enough. The case of the 90s, <laughs> or because like 1997, right? Like the internet was a thing. It was a thing, you know, very, we don't, didn't have Twitter back then and all that, but you still had, there were like online, like movie news websites, magazine forums, yeah, and forum and forums and all that, like, and, and people, you know, people react to this movie and and they, you know, they they had their, they had their feelings and a lot of that was very, um, very intense, very intense feelings, Mm -hmm. um, 
which again, as I as I've said, like, and I, I'm going to compare this to sports a little bit. Like, I, th- I was thinking about when Andrew Luck retired. I don't know if you're familiar with Andrew Luck. Of course I am, Joey. Who do you think you're talking to? I ho- I hope Ken listens to this and was like, "The hell, Richard." <laughs> 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 no, but uh, but Andrew Luck w- w- was the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, and he was like one of the like the big like QB prospects of of his time a couple years ago, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going from Peyton Manning to this guy, like it was like oh my goodness, this guy's gonna be like the next big thing. He retired not that long ago because of because of injury, and fans reacted in a very angry way. You know, to that, right. and they were in the stadium, and they were angry and reacting. And I was remembering like a sports like host saying, "Well, I don't necessarily have a problem with fans doing that because they're fans. They're the ones that are they're paying the money. They're the ones that go to the games. They have the season passes. They're the ones that pay to have that reaction." And my argument is, it's fine to be passionate. It's fine to be critical, but what's not okay is like harassment or like. Some some cases, some of these people have death threats, death threats, hate speech, any of that hate speech, yeah, um, any of that stuff. Like it's it's just it's it's not called for with that. I mean, and again, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like 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 you know, I don't I don't love the twenty fourteen Godzilla, but am I gonna like like DM or find a way to DM Gareth Edwards and say, bro, why didn't you so show Godzilla? You you told like, me you did I, that like, though, Joey. <laughs> that was like a between us thing. no oh, we did sorry. not really said, do that no, 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 no. we did do shout, that. Sh- shout out uh, shout out to Gareth Edwards what, what's his next I forgot what his next movie's called but Forrest Whitaker's apparently signed on to do that so I'm, I'm, I, I'm I forget I'm, what it is too but let's let's watch it I'm excited yeah uh, I, might, I might like pop in in the in, in post and just edit and, and just like say what it is Um, but yeah I, I guess that's that's my thing with this is no, it's 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 an important it's an important thing to say just because again because of the reaction that this movie has had and the legacy unfortunately that it's had for years with fans because of this particular take that people had with this um and it it, it kind of it it's it's hurtful and it sucks and I hate it. Stop doing it please. Uh, <laughs> but but again this again hot take whatever. I do think Joel Schumacher to some degree knew the best way to make a comic book movie. I, I love the stories that people would tell of Joel Schumacher with like a bullhorn on set going, all right, everybody, we're making a comic book superhero movie and action. So like, 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 like again, he knew what he was doing. Um, even if it, even, even if it meant, you know, and you know what? Joel Schumacher is one of the, was one of the night. Have you ever seen any of the bonus features for this movie? No, but I, I do remember, I wanted to bring this up that he did he did he, like the sort of like apology that people talk about yeah, he, with this movie. He's listen, Joel Schumacher was an absolute treasure. Like he was like the nicest dude and he knew the reaction that people had with this movie. He was obviously he was very aware of it. And so a, admittedly a lot of the bonus features is him sort of apologizing to some degree. Not I, I don't know if like like he said like, he's like listen I, I was just making a movie, and I'm sorry if I did this or that. Um, but he doesn't, and he takes ownership of everything. You know, like he, like he was proud, like he was proud to have Uma Thurman. He was proud to have Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he was ultimately proud of the final product. Um, but again, and he knew what was going into it, like the toy companies having total control of like the designs of the vehicles, which looked like toys, or like Warner Brothers 
having more of it. And the, as we know, the story of Warner Brothers and interferement with movies never turns out to be a good thing because then people rile up and say, release the Snyder Cut. And then they get the Snyder Cut and then they keep saying, hashtag restore the Snyderverse. And, and it's just continuous cycle. And I hate it, Joey. Are you still there? I'm having a headache. Godzilla versus Kong is a thing, Richard. The world is okay. <gasps> the world <gasps> is okay. <sighs> oh, big monkey, atomic lizard fighting each other. Big monkey, atomic lizard fighting uh, yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, clearly, this movie was not made by somebody who was bored by what he was doing. No, he. This movie was made by somebody who, while yes, they had constraints, whether it be from toy companies or Warner Brothers or just other shenanigans going on. Joel Schumacher clearly had a blast making those two Batman movies. He had an absolute blast, dude. Like, there's no question about it. Like, you know, just just the, the jokes, the, the sense of humor that was projected. Like, there's no way you can't watch these movies, bad or not, and and not have a sense of fun with them. So I think ultimately what we're trying to say is, is that while it might be, quote-unquote, the worst superhero movie of all time, I think we would make the argument that that is not the case especially with movies like batman v superman x-men origins wolverine (laughs) (laughs) or my 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 counter thing to that is it might not be your taste but it's somebody's taste yes exactly like that that's the other thing i i again i'm thinking about the monster verse where i know a lot of people really enjoy the 2014 godzilla personally i'm not the biggest fan of that and that's fine Mm. Like some people like the more realistic, grounded take that was took more influence from the 1954 film, and I'm just a big idiot who likes a big monkey swing, you know, scratching his butt in the beginning of a movie. Hell yeah, it's great. It's great. But everybody has their everybody has their thing. Like some people like they like the Marvel joints, you know, and even within that, they they like they like they might like the dark Thor the Dark World, or they might prefer the Taika Waititi like you know vision of that character or they might like they might prefer like oh that the espionage like you know government conspiracy stuff of captain america or they might like the do 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 he's captain america <laughs> he's fighting the red skull Woo! or you know everybody has their tastes uh, yes and yes you know uh, like there there are things in this that are, are are bad yes there are things that are very much bad but but ultimately too, it's it's also just part of it's a matter of taste. I think that's the ultimate thing with with at least this. Film. I think I think that's a, I think that's a fair point, and I definitely agree with it. Because um, at the end of the day, I wouldn't say this is a good movie, but I have fun with it. I I, I had fun. I mean, like, yeah. like, like I was amazed how how high of a score I gave it on Letterbox. It, it's just like, I'm <laughs> again. My only thing yeah. is it's a little too long. That's, yeah, that's my other. It is. My other it is a little too movie. long. It's a little. A little too long. Let me just double check to make sure we're not missing anything because, you know. Uh, no, yeah, I think I'm just reading this note. Did it really kill comic book movies? Nah. No. Nah, it did not. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> it, 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 it did not. So here, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen, guys. We are we are going to go surfing and uh, on some things like high in the sky and uh, charge make some purchases with our bat credit cards uh, to improve the quality of this program and when we come back uh, we're going to find ourselves in a very very different time period because our uh, surfboards coincidentally are also time machines and we got caught in space anyway stay tuned
back. Welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. In our last segment, we got surprisingly passionate about arguably one of the worst superhero movies of all time. I'm doing air quotes if you can't see. Obviously, you can't because this is just audio. (laughs) Uh, Can you... Can you hear the air quotes? <laughs> I'm so sorry, Joey. You can edit that part out. <laughs> That's Stan. That's Stan. <laughs> so, air quotes. Worst movie of all time. Now, oddly enough, we're going to talk about uh, this director that we've talked about a few times now, which is my fault, admittedly, um, who has made two Batman movies of his own, um, but then went on to make Another movie. Um, what is that movie, Joey? That movie is the 2001 um, reimagining <laughs> thingamajig <laughs> flippity floop. Uh, <laughs> the pain in your eyes. <laughs> uh, um, the best nap I've ever almost had, Planet of the Apes. Again, God this damn. needs to be said right off the bat. Even with some of these bad... Again, it's just nice that people were paid. Yes. And they were, no. work on these things. No, yeah. Because, again, these movies, like, when you watch, like, the credits, it's not just, like, a blank, like, a thing for you to wait for the after credit scene or just something for you just to go to the bathroom or whatever. No, those are people who actually had jobs and they, they, they could have been, you know, paying for things for the family. All sorts of things, obviously. This is their life, yeah. their livelihood. So, you know, I, when I talk about this movie, it, it's it's... Again, from what we talk about from perspective of a fan, you know. Yes. And but I'm not. Uh, this is not somebody like. Uh, this is not me to say like those those like this movie was completely worthless. It's not in that respect. It's a great thing that people were paid. And this yeah. movie was also unlike our last movie was financially successful. So yeah, it was. There were so it did so people did make you know some money off of this even though it didn't get a sequel. And I also just want to talk about the other good things in this movie as well um so you want to start you want to start off on a positive note with this one i really do yeah because Um, it's gonna get it it might get dark (laughs) and maybe not dark dark but it's gonna get intense all right i just want to you you're not gonna think believe me that i'm gonna say this part first but i think you'll agree with me the score in this is really good no yeah no like um i mean i always like kind of you know early years danny elfman music um and i think again attached to the right property danny elfman's style and and is the way he does his music is very good he did do a really good score for this yeah um i'm gonna also preface this by saying you know we kind of mentioned this before i'm a huge planet of the apes fan you're a massive planet of the apes fan huge huge planet of the apes fan i love planet of the apes and this was like as far as like a full movie my first exposure to planet of the apes so it's it's a very interesting relationship I have with this franchise because it started. It's, off, it's a lot like Godzilla because you started off with the '98 Godzilla and then kind of went into the other ones. It opened up a world for me, honestly, and I'm I'm glad I so thank you to this movie for that. And and you know what? On that note, like this, because again, I've talked we talked about Tim Burton a lot on the show. Well, I have specifically. Um, <laughs> Um, this movie was sort of the movie, because I remember seeing the cre- the opening credits and going, directed by Tim, I, I think I've seen that before, and then I looked it up, and then I was like, oh, wow, like, like all these movies that I loved growing up, like Batman, and, and Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, and Beetlejuice, even, like, a couple years earlier, I remember, um, we rented Sleepy Hollow, and I was, like, a scaredy cat of when it came to horror f- movies, 
that was one of the few horror movies that I would watch consistently because I thought it looked really cool and I liked the story and you know like so essentially this movie was like a weird like realization for me to go wow I like this guy's movies yeah so the Danny Elfman like I'm gonna like Planet of the Apes like the original um the original score was done by Jerry J- Jerry Goldsmith you know he yeah was fam- famous Hollywood composer I think his music was even nominated for the original film for an Oscar. And um, for those of you also who are Disney fans, he also did the music for Soren, which is beautiful. That is a fun one. I like Soren a lot, actually. But I think I think Elfman really does capture like the like the, the the primal nature of Planet of the Apes with his score. That whole opening like credits theme too, with like the like the percussion, the the more percussion instruments, um, and uh, just like the theme, like like it almost sounded like he was banging like two like like bamboo sticks or something together like right as it was playing like it was actually pretty dope it was it's really cool so shout out to you uh you know mr elfman um I'm, um who did the production design for, for this yes listen rick heinrichs is probably one of my favorite production designers on any movie like he's worked with tim a lot you know they were friends i believe when they were in cal arts like because they were amongst that group group of guys like they were basically amongst those guys that uh worked at cal arts and like the what's it a113 or whatever the concert reference in pixar is yeah, yeah like he yeah. like like tim and and rick heinrichs and all those guys they all hung out together like they were all in the same like class essentially um uh and rick heinrichs he would go on to work with disney again and do production designing for pirates of the caribbean like he he made the flying dutchman and it's a unique design and this movie like it would be so easy to ape off of the original and good job just thank you um <laughs> because the original had had some u- unique costumes but they were able to make this and sort of make this his own thing like watching this movie it's like the lo- like not in terms of the actual story quality. It's like the yeah. Lord of the Rings <laughs> of ape movies. Like you see like they have all like this beautifully detailed armor on 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 them uh, you know and just like the whole aesthetic of 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 just the the world itself is very unique like you, know, you could t- yeah I'll I'll say on that note as well because like people sort of make fun of Tim Burton for like constantly working with the same people I'll and again that's almost any kind of major director who's essentially got to a point where they can do whatever they want they they tend to stick with the types of people that they work with so Tim sort of for him found uh, you know people like Colleen Atwood, Academy Award winning uh, costume designer. On that note, did she do the costumes for this movie? She did. So I want to bring her up too. Sorry, yeah. So that that was great. um, So Colleen Atwood, uh, Rick Heinrichs, Danny Elfman, like these three are sort of like typical collaborators with Tim Burton in a lot of his movies. So it's sort of a working formula because all these three and their aesthetics and and their design qualities sort of mimic each other not mimic but like sort of like reflect each other in a really good way and to like make a whole piece that works really really well and so um if there's one thing that i've always appreciated about tim's movies even the movies i hate that he's made this one included um is that it looks good it sounds good you can't say that but you can't say that about every movie no honestly like this like if nothing else this movie has a very unique look to it and like Again, I, as much as I, I love the new movies and I love everything that that they've done, but it's just like I, I look at that and I go, "It was really wild that this movie happened." Like as far as like a production like production values standpoint, which is going to lead me to Rick Baker. Okay, as you know, 
Chef's Richard, kiss. as you know, I'm a huge admirer of the works of Rick Baker. As I am mean, I. As am I. You and I know you are. I have the I have the huge like metamorphosis books. Uh, the Rick, mm-hmm. like hundred I don't like hundred and fifty dollar books. Just I, mm-hmm. I just want to look at the stuff that Rick Baker has done like Dude. up close. That book he... is so heavy. That's my exercise. Whenever I pick it up, <laughs> I don't need a gym membership. I just got my Rick Baker book. Yeah, here we go. CrossFit. One, I just got my Metamorphosis volume, both volumes. Let's go. Yo. Let's go. Yo. Huh. All right, all right. Like you start a workout tape. Like all right, everyone, you get your Metamorphosis in one hand. You get your Metamorphosis follow two in the other hand. Here we go. One, two. Don't break a sweat now. Three, four. Now here you go. Bring it. In. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, like, like Rick Baker, okay, American Werewolf in London, for one, I mean, the best werewolf, I mean, Wolfman's my favorite, the original Wolfman's my favorite werewolf movie, but American Werewolf in London has the best transformation scene it does. out of an, it any really werewolf does. movie. It will never, it will never be topped. He also, like, re, like, just going back to werewolves, like, he re, did a beautiful redesign of the Wolfman that was its own thing, but paid beautiful homage to what his idol Jack Pierce did with the original. So yeah. beautiful. And the Grinch, which is yeah. not a great, another not great movie from around this time, but you know what? Jim Carrey looks great as the Grinch. It looks fantastic. Fantastic. You know what? And, and, and the guys still work like, he's not like he's retired. So he's not working in movies, but he's still sculpting like his Instagram. Listen, if you don't follow Rick Baker on Instagram, you are missing out. He just painted. You are um, missing out. He just painted. Um, yes. He's like vampire detective, like the character from London After Midnight. Famous, I saw that. Most famous, most famous lost movie. And you know what he did as well? He he. I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've shared this with you a million times, but he uh, for DC Comics he made his own original sculpt of the Joker as a bust that you can buy. I think you told me this. It's so I I I don't own it myself, but I but uh, my local comic shop. Uh, shout out to Bill's Books and More in Canton. Um, uh, they had a, a copy on sale for a while, and I really wanted to see it. And I looked at it; it was so gorgeous. Like, like the design is so unique, and it's so like wild, and like the the just the little details, like, ugh. And like he's like also like outside of that. More importantly for this episode, he's been involved in a lot of ape related movies yes he has a lot like he was he helped with the suit for the 76 king kong and was in the suit by the way he was Mm -hmm. king kong yeah all right and um that's also not my favorite this is a running thing he's been involved (laughs) in things that are not my favorites but you know what i love him and i love his work i'm also very excited for that blu-ray to come out this year from uh from screen factory i am so yes hyped but um no that he was involved with Greystoke, uh, the Tarzan uh, movie from back in the day, which I think was nominated for like a screenplay Oscar or something, oh, wow. something like that, which is wild. It's a weird movie. I definitely recommend checking out. It's a weird Tarzan movie. It's definitely not like you <laughs> expected. It's, it's imagine Legend of Tarzan, but like trying to be a real movie. <laughs> and I don't All think right. that in like like Legend of Tarzan very much tried to be like a summer blockbuster, wants to be a summer blockbuster type thing while also adding commentary but whatever he also also important for me um he did the the gorilla design for mighty joe young the the remake from the 90s which i contend is a pretty good remake you should check it out on disney plus and it's got charlie's theron in it and charlie's theron is amazing uh bill paxton i believe is also bill paxton as well is amazing um may he rest in peace yes for sure 
Um, so Rick Baker's been involved with a lot of guerrilla stuff. And I think you were saying this to me too, that like doing this movie for Rick Baker was sort of a way, I don't want to say redeem himself on Kong, but sort of like, yeah, I was reading that somewhere, ex- getting something out of the experience and man, just, just the makeup is perfect. I love the motion capture technology in the new movies. I, I, I love, um, um, I love the, the makeup from John Chambers in the original, of course. Right. This, like, if there's one big tragedy, this movie, this does not get talked about enough. Not nearly enough is the makeup in this. I look at Tim Roth in that movie as Thade, and there's no doubt in my mind that he's a that he's an evil chimpanzee. Like, no, yeah, it, it is. It is that. It is so good. It's unbelievable. You know, like, the only problem with it is just, like, sometimes with, with like, the dialogue with some of the characters, like, because they're wearing other prosthetics in their teeth and other dent, like, you know. Yeah. It's it's sort of restricting, and so they're, like, having to talk through prosthetics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, it's, and I look at Paul, Paul they completely transformed Paul Giamatti in, in, in this. It is, wow. It, it just, it still blows my mind. It is a revol, it's as revolutionary as... The makeup in the original and the motion capture, but in a, in a different sort of way. Yeah, and it just it that does not get mentioned mentioned enough. All right, there are some good performances in this movie. Like Paul Giamatti, I think is excellent yeah. in this movie. Um, he's re- he's really funny and just despicable. Um, I think Tim Roth is just having a good time. He's he's like- he's he's loving what he like. Even when he's like having a normal conversation, he still sounds evil. He, he's just like 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 he's late to dinner and he goes, "Sorry, I'm late, Senator." <laughs> you're like, God dang, this guy's like literally intense every two seconds. <laughs> who's the guy um, who plays Otto in um, uh, Beetlejuice? Glenn- oh, 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 you mean Otho? Otho is it Glenn, is it Glenn Shaddix? Glenn Shaddix. Um, yes. Again, uh, also, may he rest in peace. Again, him, Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark Duncan, yes. Thank you. Um, may both of those legends rest in peace. Um, and I th- and I think he, he was even good in, in the movie, too. Like, he's, especially, he gets restricted sometimes by, by the, by the other, like, prosthetics and all, and all that stuff but he but he's still is still a, a, a commanding presence and on. fun fact outside of like you know the one christmas gift i got from my aunt and uncle um he was the only planet of the apes toy i ever uh, actively bought was uh his version like his character from this movie because it was just a yeah. cool look and i loved him in the movie um i'm trying to think of uh, other stuff because i don't want to miss i don't want to miss anybody also just a weird note i want to bring up too it's weird that we see real apes in this movie, especially yeah. when we have like the CGI apes, and sometimes the original would bring in like a chimpanzee or or, or, or whatever for like a scene, or have it as like a baby, right? Um, as, but you know, it's it's just kind of wild that we actually do have. There's some like actual like apes in the in this Planet of the Apes movie. I also like uh, as far as production design. Just to circle back on that for a second, I, I I'm gonna get to the other meat and potatoes of this movie. I mean, it's it's worth it's like it's worth getting the positives first and foremost. Again, because of how intense I'm afraid it's gonna get. <laughs> so, um, the the production design also like with the spaceships, they look like science fictiony spaceships. Yeah, and I like that. It might be a little. It looks a little clean for my personal taste. Like it looks like an episode of Star Trek when they're inside. But like mm-hmm. you look at like the spaceships that they're on, or like the spaceship that Marky Mark has to fly on. I mean, 
it, it looks like a science fiction. It looks like something I'd watch on like from like uh, what was it uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars? Right. Which also has like, which also has a, um, a you know an ape. Funny enough. Are we ready? <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> uh, then there's the rest of the movie. Um, <laughs> I had I had to look up the fact that Marky Mark's character was ma- named Leo. <laughs> did you know his name was Leo? You know what? Did you know his name was Leo? Did you know? Don't lie to me. Did you know? <laughs> Joey, Joey. Did you know? Jo- Joey, Joey. Remember. Calm. <laughs> no, listen, listen. They just don't do a good job establishing that. I, I don't think. No, they don't. <laughs> I was just, I was just like the only. I remember Thade. I only remembered Helena Bonham Carter's character because you told me. Thank God. I remember. <laughs> I remember that their god was named Simos. Most of that is because there's a YouTuber I follow named Simo, and I'm just imagining that they worship some redheaded guy who plays Yu-Gi-Oh. Like that, that's who I'm imagining they worship in this movie. Which, oh, that's what I'm glad they do bring, have, like, their own sort of unique take on the religion. Because Planet of the Apes, they have, like, the lawgiver, and they have their own, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, rest of the movie. So, anyway, this is why, now we're going to talk about this, and we talked about this while we were watching the movie. Mm-hmm. I think Planet of the Apes is an excellent movie. You know this. It's one of my top ten favorite movies. I, I'm and, very aware of this, yes. Uh, Charlton Heston, who we, will, who we will circle back to again later, but Charlton Heston, um, who's the star of the original film as Taylor, we, we talked about Taylor. Um, yeah, a long, long, long time ago. Yeah, I have my uh, thoughts on Taylor. I think Taylor is a very unique character. Yeah, great. I think he's a great character. I hate his guts, much like you know how I sometimes feel about Charlton Heston's politics. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah, um, and we're gonna get to that also. Later. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but. Taylor is, if you have never seen the original, he is an incredibly cynical guy. He's a bastard. Like, if you wanted, yes. like, a textbook definition of a character who's a bastard. He has an evil laugh, okay? He is, he is a weird, dubbed, evil laugh that is just... Yes. It, it's wild. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's awful. Like, he just hates humanity. He's so, so cynical. And he just doesn't care, you know? And which makes the ending... So powerful when he when he realizes all the like he when he just like oh my gosh how how bad humanity has screwed up and this is truly what has happened and he's just like there's no going back at this point it's yeah. wild um, Leo is generally <laughs> likable and that's all I can say about him he he has his <laughs> coat unzipped oh my gosh so <laughs> like, original. Like- like everybody else on the ship is literally like zipped up and proper and like you know official like they're actually like looks like they're doing their jobs like they're like you know and then you have freaking Marky Mark coming in here with like his his coat unzipped he's got his like undershirt showing and he's coming in with his like cool Boston attitude you know <laughs> like again I, I anytime especially with this movie I see Mark I will say I like Mark Wahlberg in some movies. It just depends on what movie, but with this no, one, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, with this one, like it, it really makes me think of the Saturday Night Live parody from Andy Sandberg, where it's just Mark Wahlberg talks to animals. <laughs> so I'm just picturing him going up to a chimpanzee. Hey, chimp, what's going on? How's it going? You in space? What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> you like bananas? I made Max Payne. You see that movie? 
All right, you have a good day. You have a good day, ape. Say any mother for me, all right? <laughs> also, also like too thinking about like the ape side of things. Like it, it, it never feel because they send like apes out to do like space tests. Yeah, and it feels like they never really address that as like an issue. No, too much, or at least I, I, I almost fell asleep watching this, so I could be wrong. Admit they, they don't, they, they don't really. From my memory of watching it yesterday, <laughs> they don't really seem to like. It, it it does kind of make you go, "Why are they doing this? Like, what are they testing for?" Like in the in, in the new movies, that would be something that'd be brought up. In yeah, the original movies, that is something that is brought up. Like the original, surprisingly, has really good con, like, pretty good continuity. Like, especially, like, because today we think about things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that they build continuity on things. Like, they have, like, a thing where it's like, okay, this connects to this. This is what, they have an explanation for a lot of different things that have occurred in the universe. This, it just kind of feels like they just kind of blow over what they were doing, yeah. I guess. They, they, it, they it's don't, never really, they're just like, we're uh, in space, we're we're hanging out with monkeys, we're throwing them in which space. Which would have been interesting, and, and it would have added some dimension to that character. It would have added, like, almost a, not, not, not quite Taylor, but it would have added something different to our lead yes. human protagonist. That that's my thing. You could make your character likable mm-hmm. on some level. But again, that's why I think the Taylor character is so interesting in the original. And I hate to be comparing it back and forth to the original. But that's just gonna happen. That's just gonna happen. And it's just gonna happen. And I just think Taylor is just a great case of like, you know, I know a lot of times people like to say you gotta have a character that's likable. You gotta have like something the audience identifies with. Mm-hmm. And I think Taylor is one of those things where I think the audience identified with Taylor, especially at that time, if you're in America, if you're specifically a white person in America, and you see that character who is Charlton Heston, the very macho, he's holding the gun, he's beating up the apes, or whatever, and then his whole world comes crashing down on him. That is the movie. That yeah. is that is Planet of the Apes. This Marky Mark is in space, lands on a planet, <laughs> the hell on the bottom Carter ape who is apparently for apes rights has the hots for him on some level i guess and then and then he and he ends up in a universe where uh tim roth uh played the role of lincoln i you know what maybe that he was an initial choice for uh from steven spielberg but steven spielberg was like you know i kind of like kind of like liam neeson for this and liam neeson wasn't available he's like you know there's that daniel day lewis you know i i would actually like to see a liam neeson uh lincoln movie actually same, same, I, I same that, actually <laughs> I, actually damn that real that really sounds good sorry to go off on like a main <laughs> character but i think the importance of a main a main character is a very important and i just don't think leo is that great no for this movie and that's not and that's not obviously again not marky mark's fault okay he's just in the movie he's just getting a paycheck all right yeah he's just there he's 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 there he's probably like you know on set you know his brother's making hamburgers for everybody you know (laughs) 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 talking about the good old Uh, days of being uh of being a you know a model and a and a (laughs) being marky mark um, um, oh, oh, and I, this actually, this again, again, compared to the original, this makes me think of the later seasons of Game of Thrones when you compare it to the early seasons. Mm. For those of you who didn't, have never seen Game of Thrones, um, I envy you so you can avoid the later seasons, <laughs> but the early seasons, the early seasons, when, cause everybody knows about the, the big plot twists of Game of Thrones and they know about the Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. They know about like, you know, Ned, what happens to Ned Stark and all that stuff. And there was a story-driven purpose for all of those things. 
And then the last season happens, and then it feels like characters and things are dying, or things are happening because we got to have some level of shock value because people expect it from they, Game of Thrones. They latched a lot onto the things that people talked about the most, which is, I think, a common problem with a lot of things. They just go, oh, this. what are they talking about the most? They're talking about this, as opposed to, like, what is making the best story? The original film, okay, the original film has probably, arguably, arguably, the most iconic movie twist of all time. Yeah. And this was something, because this is based on a book, it was original to the movie. That that Charlton Heston, like, spoiler alert, he finds out that he's been on Earth the whole time. Yeah. Like, he didn't think he was on Earth at all. And then he finds out he's been on Earth and that the humans were the cause of their own, like, destruction, basically. This movie says, hey, the original had a twist. You remember the original had a twist, right? You remember that there was a Statue of Liberty. We're not going to do that. We're going to do something a little different. We're gonna, it's going to be a little fun. Marky Mark goes back in time. He thinks he's back, he's back home, but no, 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 no. He goes to the Lincoln Memorial. Guess who's there? Tim Roth. Is is General Thade playing an Abraham Lincoln cosplay at the Lincoln <laughs> Memorial, and we get ape cops, ape cops. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Credits rolling. Oh my! Oh my God! And there's a little ape boy on his little ape seventh grade field trip taking pictures. Seventh field trip at night. I don't know what the little boy's doing. <laughs> listen, man. I, I, listen, listen, ape, I, I ape politics. I bet you the ape way of doing things is let's do it all at night. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Good, good, good grief! But this th- movie this, has this, too this, many I mean, questions. This, this, like, I don't know. I, I, I just, I just didn't care. I, I, at the end, it does. It doesn't amount to anything. It that doesn't twist ending. It, it doesn't contribute anything. It's, it is just there because. Hey, the original had a twist ending. We should put one in too, probably, because that's what the audience expects. Yeah. All right. And that that's one of the reasons why, like, Rise of the Planet of the Apes was such a breath of fresh air. Like, there was that little, like, end credits, like, sti- like mid-credits stinger. But you know what? It ends. The story effectively ends. You didn't, I mean, yeah, you're going to have those sequels and stuff. But you know what? The story ends. It doesn't try to do any sort of grand plot twist or anything like that for the sake of it. It's like, yeah, the apes, they're free. They're in the forest. La di da, go home and then go to bed. <laughs> then come back and see it again, which I did like two other times. But anyway, I I, I saw um, it, I saw it twice as well. I believe. I I, I saw I I, I saw it's, it was the first movie fun fact that I saw by myself in a theater. Nice. That that rise of Planet of the Apes anyway. But yeah, this movie yeah. like it, it just <laughs> it, it, it's it's like. When it when it does try to do something original, it's more in like the production values and like the te- some of the technical stuff, mm-hmm. I would say. And then when it does when it tries to do stuff from the original, I don't know like the move. I'm not saying the filmmakers don't understand why, because I know Tim Burton understands the importance of the ending of Planet of the Apes, even though yes. I've never had a conversation with him. I'm sure he knows the importance of the ending of the original Planet of the Apes. But it's also a case of this, as you said to me before, in pointing out this movie. It's not entirely Tim Burton's fault. No, that the movie that the movie movie is like this because, like we were talking about in the last movie, um, there was a lot of studio interference. Um, there was days when Tim walked off set uh, while they were filming the movie and just couldn't bother with it anymore. He didn't even want to make it at first because 
he like it's funny to think about this because of how often people especially these days sort of look at like planet of the apes or charlie and the chocolate factory and just go oh oh he's just the guy that remakes classics now and pisses everybody off it's like he didn't want to make this movie because of that. <laughs> like, like he literally was like, "I love Planet of the Apes so much, I'm not gonna remake this." But he he found something interesting in it and, and an opportunity again to work with people like Rick Baker, um, uh, or to work with uh, you know, some of these other people that are in this movie. And if if anything positive happened for Tim Burton out of this movie, similar to Ryan Reynolds when he made Green Lantern, he at the time he met. Uh, you know the person that would be the mother of his children. He he held a bottom Carter. You know that that's, that's they like, met on that movie. That's, it's like Steven Spielberg with Temple of Doom. It's a movie he does not look on fondly, except for Cape Capshaw. Yeah, and like like and yeah, I don't think they're together anymore. But you know, obviously, uh, she became a very prominent figure in his movies for the next you know ten ten plus years. And um, the two of them, you know, had children together. They they you know lived together. I don't think they ever got married, but um, you know they they like that was a movie where he met someone that you know was he was very close with. It's an extreme example of what we bring up before, but like you know sometimes these movies are a little more than just the things that we see. You know, yeah. the people involved with them have their own experience, own experiences, um, and all that. So that's important. To, it is. To it is very important. Um. But that being said, like Tim Burton, you know, he's his his influence is still in this movie to a degree. But there is a lot that happened behind the scenes. And that's this this is sort of tragic Hollywood th- story with a lot of blockbusters is that most of the reason why a lot of blockbusters just aren't near as good as they could be is because of a lot of studio interference. Like we talk about the DC movies um, and the amount of studio interference with those uh, typically. Um, with like the Snyder movies and whatnot, we talk about, uh, you know, this or like. There's a lot. There's a million examples, honestly, of this, and I think Planet of the Apes was definitely one of them. And I was thinking about back, um, back to when we talk about Batman and Robin. Like, yeah, there was a lot of interference, but Joel Schumacher was having a blast making those movies. Or it feels like if he, his energy is coming off on you, and you're just like, man, that that was awesome. Yeah, you know, even though the movie is not awesome, but like. Yeah, you felt you felt, you were like, okay, I'm there for this for a little bit. I see what you're going for. This it just it I, I just feel bad for Tim because it just feels like he it, it, it just feels like it's like dragging his heel drag not dragging his heels but like it just feel the, the, it just doesn't feel like a match and you're just like this doesn't come from some somebody who's no. like excited to do this it, it and that's and because ugh. there was that hesitation to even want to make this to begin with because again the original is such a classic. And so, like, that was even why, for both this and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, why he didn't just do, like, direct remakes of the movies. Why, in his eyes, he was doing a reimagining, so everything is so different. We talked about this, too. The The one thing that I think was really the downfall, in, in at least with Tim having an involvement with this movie, is that he's he's very much a escapist-type filmmaker. Like, movies like Batman or Beetlejuice, which are so somewhat thinly... Uh, plotted that are meant to be more or less spectacles to sort of showcase this the the artistry of some of the more visual aspects of Tim Burton's filmmaking those movies work the best because he's focusing on that and the characters and having fun versus say like um this where 
he because he tip especially from a political standpoint i think he does try to like steer himself away he might reveal his politics a little bit especially like with like we talked about with mars attacks and how you could sort of tell he might not be very fond of politicians which might also work with the aesthetic of mars attacks as well but um with with this you can't really make it an escape you can kind of make it escapist but planet of the apes is very much a science fiction movie in the ballpark of stuff like maybe Blade Runner or Dune, where like they have like a visual grandeur to them, but there's a purpose to what they're what they're telling. Or it's like thinking about Star Trek as well. That there's a lot of social issues in in Star Trek, and that, that that's that's a, another appeal of, of like Planet of the Apes is 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 the political nature because when the original was made, we're still very much in the midst of like the civil rights movement. That, that you know the, the assassinations were going on at, at at that time like five years before the original came out jfk was killed you know yeah. and then i think 19 was it 68 that that martin luther king was assassinated i think, I think so. it was i think it was i think it was 68 there was a lot of political things going on and the movies the movies sort of reflect that you still very much in the midst of the cold war you know the planet of the apes if, if, if nothing if nothing else they're very bold they're very bold science fiction movies that they don't like obviously everybody talks about like oh you damn dirty ape and you know the thing about uh some of the clever there's some clever lines and all that but right there's also yeah. just a lot of thought that goes into like the politics and like the social you know social political aspects of those movies there, this there really movie, is it feels like it feels like this is like the centrist take on planet of the apes as we said because mm-hmm. one of our our main like characters is you know is ari who's very sympathetic to the humans she's very much like the dr zira equivalent as played by Helena Bottom Carter um you know and is also indicated by the fact that she looks more human than just about any of the other apes uh, yeah. in, in the film and she's also like like, like when they want to they want to kill Paul Giamatti and see she's like oh no you'll only lower yourselves to that level and it just feels like come on it just, it just feels like, <laughs> felt like that was the Tim Burton character like come on guys don't do that let's let's be friends <laughs> Remember that we could be friends. Come on, guys. I, 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 I hated. I like Helena Bonham Carter did a good job. I just hated that character so much <laughs> for stuff like that. I'm like, no, man. no, dude. You're again. I completely, I completely agree. It's just, it, it's like, it's like, it's like the fake like person. Oh my god, I'm for, for people's rights. And then it's like when when somebody says, um, when when somebody says like defund the police, they're like, um, that's a little too radical for me, guys. I can't do that. I can't. Um, I'm gonna go home. <laughs> I'm gonna go home. <laughs> I'm gonna go home. I'll tweet about it. I'll tweet about it, though, guys. I promise. Yeah. I'll, ch- I'll, I'll change my yeah. Instagram. Fo- I- I'm gonna put a filter on my Instagram profile picture. It's gonna look good. I promise. I, I, not not to go overboard with that, but or, or yeah. overly analyze that character. I can't believe I'm spending all this time on that. But <laughs> yeah, like that 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 was. But no, that the, was the vibe I was thinking the whole time. The point the point definitely is is that Tim. I think Tim Burton actively has tried to avoid any sort of politics or political correctness in his movies because it's it's not a topic of discussion maybe he doesn't know much about or he doesn't want to be involved with. So he, he actively, like, when he makes a movie, he'll either try not to have some sort of, pol- like, polis- politic or politic or whatever, um, or he'll try to make something that he doesn't need to worry about that. You know, again going to batman batman especially that first one is a spectacle movie like spider-man or 
the Avengers. You know, these are movies that are meant to just show you how cool, you know, X character is uh, in these movies while they're fighting bad guys with cool characters and lines and, you know, set, like, all that stuff. And not to say that Tim Burton hasn't had some sort of, like, you know, like, we talk about, like, Sweeney Todd, and I think Sweeney Todd had a lot more to say about, you know, romance and all that stuff um, with that one, but I don't think Tim Burton's one of those directors that makes something to make a point. Like, and, and in a lot of ways, it's sort of, like, sh- it, it make it sort of, like, has him shooting shooting himself in the foot a little bit, because, like, I think, the, I think his continuing point, though, is, like, you know, the, the outcast, the disenfranchised type character, but I, I think he really focuses that on, on more of a adolescent scale versus, say, like, you know, a more mature focus on that. Like it, 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 it I guess I'll just say it makes sense why teenagers, especially teenage me related to Edward Scissorhands a lot versus like, like a 30 year old watching Edward Scissorhands and having any relation to it because, you know, they probably will just be like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and not to say again, that people who are older can't relate to Edward Scissorhands. But the point is, I think he, I think Tim, more actively caters to a more adolescent audience. Yeah. 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 Like, and I, I even think about like what I think is his best movie, Ed Wood. Yeah. Like, like there, there are, there are things that like sprinkled in, like, you know, with like the Bill Murray character and all that, but the overall, or like just Ed Wood in general, but the overall thing, it, it's really about like, Oh, being yourself and trying to make the movie that you can. It's, and it's a great, fantastic movie. That's not, this is not to downplay the, the, brilliance that is the movie ed wood yeah but it, it's it is very much like there there's there is no real political thing there's no political edge to it which i'm not expecting every movie to be political but again there there is a level of like that we talked about this all art has some type of might convey some type of message even if you don't think it is conveying a message yes like especially with that one i think he was more relating it to just him and his friendship with Vincent Price in his later later on in his life too, and like mm-hmm. that's sort of what the focus right. of that movie is versus like say Ed Wood and you know um, his cross dressing and you know wearing dresses and stuff. Though that is an element in the movie, it's not necessarily something that's heavily played on. It's more like an oh my god thing for other characters to react, react to. to, yeah. More like whereas if if somebody other than Tim Burton was handling that today, that would be that would probably end up being a ma- more major focus of. That I think film. I I honestly think so. Yeah, that's that's always been like one thing that's sort of been weird about Tim. But it's like in as you grow up and you and I, as I've grown up and watched his movies and just like looked at them uh, from a different viewpoint, you can definitely tell that a lot of his movies tend to avoid stuff like that. But again, I think his movies work best when they're really just like fun escapist type movies. Like that's why I think a lot of his early movies are still considered like his best because again, while they, there, while there might be some kind of message he's conveying in those movies or some sort of emotion that he himself relates to with these characters, like Batman being like kind of a loner character, for example, example, did I say example? Yes, I did. Um, example, um, <laughs> um, at the end of the day, I think it worked best because it was Tim getting to play, uh, you know, designer and getting to use his more artistic background more in movies like that. 
I think it's like level of like innocence, you know, yeah, or, or, that or, like those early those early films. Whereas yeah, now, like doing like doing that sort of thing, it it gets harder and harder to sort of like put up that sort. I don't want to say front, but you know. No, I I get you. I get what you mean. But in that regard, there's one more thing that we have to talk about. Um, and it's sort of weird to to talk about this, especially it's important to talk about this, but it's weird to talk about, especially for how many times I've talked, I've 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 had us put Tim Burton movies on this show. But um, it's still an important thing nonetheless because, again, Tim Burton was a director that I personally grew up with and uh, a lot of his movies, again, as I, I mentioned plenty of times, have more or less, from f- a basic level, shaped the types of movies that I tend to gravitate towards, like escapist, spectacle, like sort of stylist movies. Like, I lo- like my favorite directors, like Guillermo del Toro and Edgar Wright, who, you know, both have pretty stylized visually beautiful movies even if you know to a different obviously to a much different degree but um he tim was sort of like the gateway for me into movies and so he'll always have some sort of special place in my heart that does not mean i like all of his movies in fact again i don't like a lot of his movies especially his more recent efforts and as far as his approach to certain aspects in movie making i also don't agree with <laughs> so yeah we're gonna this is gonna get pretty yeah anyway so i guess okay i'll start with this in 2016 tim burton was doing promotion for uh his movie miss peregrine with ava green and samuel L. jackson and there was something that this was also during a time when people were constantly talking about diversity and not that that's never not been like an important subject, but within that time period, it was becoming a more prominent talking point and, you know, trying to get to a point where we can have more diversity in a lot of movies. And with this, with that movie, with Miss Peregrine, people looked at that and were sort of like confused or not necessarily confused, but sort of like, you know, there was like a question mark on their face, essentially, because the only prominent like person of color in that movie was Samuel L. Jackson. Literally like you watch the movie. He's the only non-white person in that entire movie. And even, even Samuel L. Jackson, who would obviously say how much he loved working with Tim Burton. He, he, he even bought Tim Burton a pillow with his face on it. So Tim Burton (laughs) owes a Samuel L. Jackson pillow. I kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of jealous. (laughs) <laughs> but but I also think about like he's just going to bed. And he's just like it's like it's like he's looking at me and just he just knows what I did. <laughs> <laughs> that or he's like oh Sam Sam Jackson's here to protect me. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's 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 an odd comfort, I guess. <laughs> it's an odd comfort, but um. But no, like even Samuel L. Jackson would go on record and be like, this is, "I think I might have been the first one." <laughs> Um, (laughs) and so, um, later on, um, at one point while he was doing press for the movie, an interviewer asked Tim Burton about his particular thoughts on diversity in film and, um, the importance of it or, you know, whatever his viewpoint was, especially given that that particular movie only had like one person of color in it. And his 
while I don't have his quote up or anything, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially says something along the lines of diversity is only necessary at times versus all the time. Like it's 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 only needed occasionally. And he would he would go on to talk about like, you know, political correctness and how, you know, it's sort of taken over the world or whatever. Um and how when he was a kid and he was watching the Brady Bunch, how he found it more offensive to see like a, an Asian kid being in, introduced into the cast. Um, or like when he was watching black exploitation movies as a kid and saying how no one ever commented on how those movies needed more white people in them. Again, paraphrasing, but that's more or less what he said. Mm-hmm. That didn't go down very well. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, I still, I still see people. I still see people on my Facebook feed talk about that sometimes. Yeah, because like there was a TikTok trend not that long ago where people, where like TikTokers were like making themselves look like Tim Burton characters, and then other people would comment like, "Oh, oh, so that's what you're going for, huh?" <laughs> and so it's like it's he. I, I'm not. I, I can't. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's very bad. It's also very strange to, to to note. I think you were saying this to me that this is this could be argued as one of his more diverse movies. Yeah, and um, the title is Planet of the Apes, which has its own set of like, again the Planet of the Apes. They're about they're they could all, they're also about race as well, while also well you know using the apes as sort of like a metaphor for a bunch of different things. Yes. And that could that also again even with the old movies that has its own set of issues, as well. It just again with your comments that you've said with Tim Burton, and then this is the one that has quite a few like prom- I don't want to say but like characters in this movie that are people of color, but played by people of color, and you're like oh gosh, <laughs> and you you pointed out to me too that like like a lot of like the the random like ape voices, in the in the movie, are like. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, oh, like okay, listen, say it. listen, listen, listen. Okay, this is again. I want to reiterate. This is by far the one true. Well, not maybe the one, but the biggest thing as far as Tim Burton's filmmaking approach that I definitely do not agree with. It's apps like like it. There's n- it doesn't make any sense really. And Especially when you talk about escapist like fantasy movies. Yes, because yes. that is that is the world where where you can have anybody be anybody. Yes, you know, and, and it just it just feels restricting because there are so many so many talented people out there. I think about again. I think about Star Trek. You know, it's the distant future, and like people always like oh, Star Trek again with like all the diversity and all the. But that that's kind of the point. Yes, you know it, it. It is. It's a commentary on our world, but also it is a sem- a sort of fantasy, you know. So why not have like a diverse group of people? You know, it's just really bad to to to, to link that viewpoint. Which he's again, he's sixty three, so it makes sense. Not again, not to say that there aren't more like progressive or you know whatever like people within their sixties, but. There are pe- a lot of people from that time period that would argue, like, well, you know, when I was a kid, there wasn't blah, 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 blah. Like, there are... Those people exist, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the case of Tim, knowing that and then watching this movie again, like, the fact that it took... 
like you're, you're right. It's hard to say. The fact that it took um, casting people as apes for him to have a sense of diversity is kind of gross. <laughs> it's it's just weird. It just plays off weird. It and really does. Honestly, honestly, and that's also a weird thing about Planet of the Apes in general, and also just movies about like sort of metaphors for like races. But I think about like the X Men movies. Right. I, th- I talked about this too, where the X-Men are always like, especially in the movies, they're always d- dealing with like the prejudice of being a mutant. And I know people also connect it with like being gay, but it's also just weird that, that they're dealing with prejudice and they're all white people. Yeah. <laughs> they're, I mean, except for like Storm and like one or two other characters, but everybody's white. And then like, and then on top of that, like the central ape characters are all played by white actors. And then I also think about, like, yeah. the only reason Paul Giamatti is playing an orangutan... He could have played any t- type of ape he wanted. He could have played any type of ape. He plays an orangutan. Why? Because he's redhead. <sighs> it's not... <sighs> and, and that's, like, that's like minuscule compared to, like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 my, that's minor stuff. But also, too, I just want to point out, too, that we're, we're just... We're two white guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're, we are by no means authoritative authors or authoritative voices on this subject no we are not so we we encourage you you do to do like seek out the work of of people of color in relation to this topic specifically please do you know if i find if i find anything i'm definitely going to put in the link in this we just wanted to bring it because we we just felt it would be it would be weird not to bring this up it would be it would be very weird not to bring this up like i didn't think it was gonna be our intention to bring this up initially no but it was like it was like such a prominent thing this viewpoint like it like again especially knowing what we know now with like again with that with that comment that he made and um you know what actually on that note i want to i want to send people to maggie may fish's uh, video essay she did where she watched all of his movies, all of Tim's movies, and sort of re sort of reevaluate a lot of his movies. And knowing again what we know now, um, it's again it's a great video. I highly recommend you watch it. But if you like Tim Burton, you might not like it. Though <laughs> again, I do like a lot of his movies, but I I have to agree with what she had to say, which is again along these lines, and even even going so far as to to almost say that Edward Scissorhands in a lot of ways could feel like some weird version of segregation because that movie ends with the outcast character being uh, forced back into his house by a bunch of suburban white people. So, but I do recommend you watch I, that I, video. Yeah. Um, I, I One more thing I wanted to say I, I knew I had to think about was like, the original, again, original Planet of the Apes had Taylor, and the only other human that you really cared about was Nova. So, sort of his, sort of his quote-unquote love interest, but it's the only, you know, only girl in town, whatever kind of thing. And as weird as that might seem, but it, it, it just helps just focus in on two characters. It makes things simpler, so you can focus on other ideas. Yeah. This movie has way too many humans that can talk. Yeah. And I'm happy, again, I'm happy that they were paid. They had a job for for a steady job for a period of time. I agree. I, but, it, again, it, it's just for the purposes of, I'm just strictly talking for the purposes of a story. There's just way too many damn people in this movie. Way, way too many damn people in this movie. And you don't remember or care about any of them. I just know one of them was played by Chris Christopherson. And you know what? 
I like Chris Christopherson in Blade. I haven't seen him in anything else, if I'm being honest. But I like him in Blade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, he's there. And the the movie, like, for me, it's just... It's just not very good. No. It's bad as as far as, like, an experience. I mean, again, and I'm also a Planet of the Apes fan, so it it hits me harder that this movie is is like this. For all the reasons that you, you know, described and just... Mm -hmm everything else but i also think it's important to remember with both of these films even in things that might be deemed as like the worst movies ever or one of your least favorite movies there's usually something in there that works even if it's despite the rest of the production or if they feel like they're in a completely different movie like alfred like it just there's there there are some things in these that work on some level yes like even like even the worst movie you've ever seen, like there were people that worked on them. There were people that, uh, you know, made all the sets and like, no, like I'm pretty sure we said this before. A vast majority of people that go into making a movie never go into it to make it bad. Like to some degree, every single person that makes a movie wants it to be good. And with Joel or Tim, Whoever was directing all the people behind the scenes, uh, you know, the actors, no one goes in this with the intention of it being bad, but sometimes that's what ends up happening. Um, and, and at times, like with, you know, some of these, with some of the movies we talked about, you know, there, there are things that we tend to appreciate later, or we look at it a little bit differently as time goes on. Um, or we, 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 find other things that we don't like about it. But either way, again, it's a matter of taste, but it's also a matter of just understanding um, that a lot of people made these movies, um, may, put effort into these movies, and, you know, what ended up happening, happening happened. I also just want to bring up real quick, because I know I said this earlier, um, Charlton Heston's in this movie. He has a cameo. It relates to guns. And it's there. <laughs> and, and Tim Roth wasn't happy with it. He was con- he was very uncomfortable. Yeah. You could look up the story uh, behind that, but it, it's, it's something to bring up. I find that I also do find the juxtaposition of his character kind of interesting in this movie, given that he is like the, is the Dr. Zaius um, character. And he, and, he, and, he, and he sort of like paraphrases his famous quote because, you know, mm-hmm. it's Charlton Heston. So. Yeah, I actually, I, I think it, it, I, I think it's a decent scene. I, I mean, but again, I just there's a lot of other like things that were going on behind the scenes <laughs> with that. So I think that's that's a big factor in it. I think it's it's one of the few moments where I'm like, okay, I'm I'm like I'm liking where where this is where this is going. But that's just me, folks. Folks, what are some things that you enjoy in movies that you don't like? Please. Please, please, please let us know. Yes, we mean this. If you bring up something, we'll bring it up on the show. Yeah, like I want, I, I want to, I want that to be a thing. So if you are listening and you made it this far, we'll definitely give you a shout out if you if you say something. Let's just, just send it. Send you know, just don't don't say anything like crass or. Yeah, yeah. If if the only comment we get is something mean or terrible, we're we're not gonna read it. <laughs> no. Yeah, but anyway, um, you know that, that that's gonna wrap it up for this week's episode. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We each have letterboxes. We got a YouTube channel. All those links are in our description for this podcast. Check us out. 
next week. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. You are both so great. Thank you for the music that you make. And of course, a hint for next week's double feature. We are traveling under the sea to take a look at some marvelous things and maybe even rediscover the lost city of Atlantis. Stay tuned.